question of why Easter, and I mean it in this sense. Why Christmas? Why Easter? Why, why Christ? What, what is this all about? It comes out of this passage because the Apostle Paul is the author of this book, and it's written to a city called Colossae, and he'd never been to that city, and he's writing this letter uh, to them because he's heard about their faith. There are believers there. There are people who believe in Christ. And uh, there's also another city he has in mind, Laodicea. Laodicea, if you're a Bible scholar, you're familiar with that word from the book of Revelation. Uh, it's also mentioned, I think, three or four times in the book of Colossians. He's writing this letter to both those cities. And he, what he's concerned about is that... Human beings have this tendency. It's, I think it's kind of like a, a Christmas morning tendency of a five-year-old. Um, you know, why is it that they end up thinking the wrappers, are, the wrappings are more important than the toy we just gave them? <laughs> or the box in which the toy came? Or, or uh, for example, we may have thought this was the greatest gift we could ever give them, and they, they play with it for, you know, oh, seven minutes. <laughs> and suddenly it's really not that interesting. And you find it, uh, you know, laying uh, underneath, uh, you know, a wet T-shirt in the backyard. <laughs> you know, and you think, oh, the effort. Uh, and, and maybe they even begged for it, right? Um, it's just this phenomena we have of being excited about something and then, sort of quickly being distracted and losing interest and, and maybe asking this question, why Christ? Why, why Easter? Why do we celebrate this? Why is this so important? We live in a very competitive world, you know, even right now. There's one guy talking up here and there's a lot of competition for your attention. You're all doing extremely well, but it's only been two and a half minutes. You know? <laughs> um, we live in a very competitive world. And here's the philosophical side of this. This is completely intended by God. You know, God made the world to be exciting and distracting and wonderful and just filled with things that catch our attention. I took some uh, safety training for motorcycle riding. I... I a couple years ago, I decided to have a very tame midlife crisis and buy a used motorcycle, <laughs> uh, which has you know, been really, really wonderful. I've enjoyed it a great deal. But one of the, I, so I took the uh, police-approved motorcycle training course. So I highly recommend it. And one of the things they said is that we people, and you probably already knew this, were attracted to mo motion. Something moves and we, we look at it. Um, and uh, their the idea for them was, you know, so therefore when you're riding a motorcycle, move around a little bit. You know, don't just stay in one place, like shift in the lane so people can see you. Uh, they're attracted to motion. God has made us this way uh, to be attracted to ideas and things and things that are bright. And this is what was happening in the city of Colossae and Laodicea. There were people who had been all excited about Christ, but they didn't go very deep. They went kind of shallow. They, they put their roots in just a little ways. 
and then this competition was coming in saying hey there's something even better than Christ and we have it here and we can fix you up and we can tell you how to live and we can make it a lot easier actually by giving you a set of rules you know keep these five rules and God will be happy with you um, and so Paul's writing to explain to them how amazing Jesus Christ is and how, how blow you out of the water the resurrection of Christ is and how the, the main meat of the message of Christianity when properly understood rocks us back in a sense of overwhelming awe that, that draws us out to, to want to know more to, to love him and to experience Christ more. So that's what we find in this passage. There's some words in here about Jesus that, you know, literarily, they look like hyperbole. I like that hyperbole word because uh, it's, it has Greek roots, and I like Greek. I studied Greek a lot uh, in college and seminary. You know what hyperbole means? It means a, like a wild pitch that the, the pitcher throws it. It's like way, way overthrown. Hyper is huge over. Hupo in Greek is under. We might say hypodermic, under the skin. But this is hyper. You know, by the way, a hypodermic needle does you no good at all. That's when they go, <laughs> right, you get, yeah, that's, that's just an aside. That's an added bonus for today. But a hyperbole is, and the word, what do you think the word bole means? Ball. It means to throw. So to throw way over. Now there's some words in this text I'm about to read, which you could think, wow, that's just hyperbole. But the thing about Jesus Christ is, it's not. <laughs> it's not hyperbole. Um, we, we celebrate Easter and, and we say he is risen, he is risen indeed. This is a reality. He was dead and he came back to life. He walked, he talked, he was huggable, he ate. Uh, he cooked breakfast for the boys on one occasion. This is real. So let me read the text with a little bit of commentary and then I'll go back through it um, kind of summarizing some of the main points. Again, I'm not in any way trying to hit it all today. Uh, I'll just hit some of it. And when it gets a little too long, you can hit me, okay? <laughs> that was a joke. I have to label things. Joke. Laugh here. <laughs> That's how pitiful it's gotten to be. <laughs> well, let's shift gears and read the Holy Word of God. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. You know, you can think that's a, us. You know, I never saw Paul face to face. Of course, he's not now living and having this struggle, but he, he so wants us to get it. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. We just sang a beautiful song about that 
Come behold the wondrous mystery. Uh, that's what that's about, this wondrous mystery. And I'm going to open that up, uh, Lord willing, in a couple of minutes. What is the mystery in this passage? Christ. And look, here's one of those hyperbolic statements that's not hyperbole. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that a beautiful statement? In this one person, Christ, who is a mystery to be revealed, are hidden all the treasures, the wealth. As a kid, I I grew up in the state of California. I'm I'm a Californian by birth. And uh, our church, our church group bought an old campground way up in the Sierras uh, near a little town called Laporte up the Feather River Canyon out in, it's still no man's land. Uh, We used to go up there and we we helped sort of settle it. I remember the can, the piles of rusty cans from uh, the old miners that had been through there and the hunters that had camped there for a long time. And this was a mining region. I don't think it was ever very successful. But you could explore around and find caves in the sides of the mountains. And I was by myself one day, and, and I'm like nine years old. This, you know the good old days when you just let a nine-year-old wander all day long in the Sierras <laughs> uh, along Whiskey Creek and uh, watching the brown trout, the natural brown trout there. Beautiful, beautiful. But up this hill, right from Whiskey Creek, there was a, there was a shaft that went in there. And I went in there and I found treasures. What it was was uh, quartz crystals all over the place in this beautiful hole in the mountain in a forgotten area of California. That's the idea here. In Christ, this mystery are hidden. How many of the treasures? All. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, you can't get any better than that. You can't exceed that. You can't improve upon that. You can't sell you know, alpha and beta version. You don't even have to update this thing. You don't, you don't have to get constant software updates on Christ. He's it. He's all. And it's just, it's, it's so amazing who he is. Again, not hyperbole. This is God's truth. Look at verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you, and that's to deceive No one may delude you with plausible arguments. He's actually complimenting the competition there, isn't he? He's saying, hey, they have some plausible arguments. It's a a temptation, and I I give into it a lot. Probably, you know, I give give into it too much. It's a temptation to take your enemy and just laugh at him, right? You make a straw man out of him and say, ha, 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 his arguments are totally weak. Yeah, but if you really understood his arguments, you'd say, wow, that's a tough argument. (laughs) That's pretty plausible, right? So Paul says, look, guys, we're not mocking them out. They, They have some plausible arguments against Christ. And I want you to be so 
into the mine shaft, finding the treasures that you're not deceived by these plausible arguments. Again, verse 5, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted. Remember I mentioned that. Some of, them, some of them had a shallow root problem. And so he's hoping that they put roots deeply into the all-sufficient, overwhelming wealth of Jesus Christ. Rooted and built up in him and established in your faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, the more you go into this mine and find the treasures the more exciting it is, the more wealthy you become in Christ and the more thankful you are. That's why the Bible says rejoice in the Lord when everything, when everything goes just right for you. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord. No, it says rejoice in the Lord always. We could always go into the mine and find the treasure of salvation in Christ that we're saved eternally no matter what is happening in our current situation? That's how we can be thankful in everything. Verse 8. Here, here's back to the cautionary note. See to it that no one takes you captive. This is uh, an idea where somebody's going to come in and capture you and put you in chains, take away your freedom. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy an empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And here comes a great non-hyperbolic statement about Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. God is in a body in Jesus Christ. God See, that's, that's the highest being, the God who is. He is there and he is not silent. That's who Jesus is. Again, you can't improve on this. <laughs> you can't get better than that. Christ is all we need. He is fully sufficient. He's fully exciting, fully awe-inspiring. The more we know, uh, the more we love him. Okay, verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. He's talking metaphorically here. I think it's actually a metaphor for the crucifixion of Christ that we have died with Christ. See in the text. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. If you like to underline uh, in your Bible, I would recommend underline that phrase. Through faith in the powerful working of God. That's how we're connected 
with Jesus Christ through faith in the powerful working of God. How can this happen? Through faith in the powerful working of God. Not your own effort. Uh, no other means, but through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Here's the beauty of the gospel. You're set free completely from all your sin because Christ has taken it completely and fully and sufficiently for us. Have, again, verse 13 in the very end, having forgiven, notice all the past tenses here too. It's already happened spiritually, it happened. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. And see, Paul's whole argument here is, you can't get any better than that. Why are you shopping around for a faith that tells you by the way, I want you to do this five times a day. By the way, I want you not to eat that, and I want you to eat this. And by the way, you have to do this, and you have to do that. Um, if, if, by the way, that in the text, I'm not getting there, but since I already mentioned all that, look down at verse 20 and 21, just to verify what I'm saying. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, Do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. There's a ton of alternative faiths that appeal to our flesh because they kind of have a sort of a simple list of do's and don'ts. You can be right with God if you don't do this and if you do do this. If you worship on a certain day, God's going to be happy with you. If you do this, you do that. And Paul's saying, no, you're missing Christ. Christ has forgiven all your sins. And it's in him we're made free. Who raised him from the dead, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling, verse 14 now, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Again, this tells us, honestly, if you came here this morning and you're not asleep yet, in fact, why don't you nudge somebody near you? Are you asleep yet? <laughs> I didn't see a lot of nudging. <laughs> Nobody's asleep yet. <laughs> this is worth the, the price of admission right here. Look, look at what I'm trying to get at here. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What Paul is saying is, every human being is born as a sinner. And then, guess what sinners do? We sin. We rebel against God. We lust, we lie, we steal. We do any number of rebellious acts. We're rebellious against God. Sometimes we're just nasty. Sometimes we're just mean. Sometimes we throw a fit. Sometimes we hurt ourselves. Right? There's a, I could go on. It's a list, he says. It's, uh, and, and there's legal demands with this list. What, what, are, what are the legal demands? What are the wages of sin? Death. The wages of sin is death. The only way to pay off your sin is to die for it. 
for eternity or have someone else die in your place. And that's, look at this glorious word, by canceling, canceling. How would you like it if a super wealthy businesswoman walked in here and said, okay, the first 10 people who see me after service, I will pay off all your debts, all your mortgages, all your visa bills. I will pay them off because I'm in a good mood today. You know, wouldn't that feel good? Amen? I mean, wow! <laughs> canceled, 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 paid off. And I mean, we'd say hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> you know? But you know what's even a worse debt, right? Is our sin. Because that is eternal. You can die with a mortgage and I don't know what happens then. I guess something happens. I don't care, right? <laughs> I'm, at that point, I'm dead. You can't collect from me. But don't die with a moral mortgage, right? Don't die with a debt thinking someday I'll pay it off. And I beg you, only in Christ can you have it canceled by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's, let me shift gears again by praying and then I'll just kind of sum it up, some of the main points uh, in this passage of scripture. Father, we worship you and praise you that these statements about Jesus Christ are not exaggeration. They're true and real. And in your grace, open our hearts and minds to your great truth and help us to see your, your overwhelming value, the riches and the treasure of being forgiven and that we would be drawn to you with a firmly rooted love, firmly rooted commitment, and a joyful service for life. That's our prayer today. And we always pray only through Jesus Christ. Amen. So let me sum it up. I like to sum it up with three, three main points. Mystery, Christ. Honestly, as I... I, had, I don't do this very often, but I had sort of a weird experience. You say, why did you choose this passage? I literally was pondering Monday. What do I... What passage should I preach on? What passage? And, and we had found some... <laughs> why am I telling you this story? We had found some little Bibles, like little award Bibles. And they were, they were from way, way back. And I, I opened the box, opened one up, boom, opened it up, Colossians 2, Resurrection of Christ. I said, okay, Lord, that's why I'm going to preach this passage. So that's a little bit weird, but that's why we're here today. <laughs> so... It's just this glorious word that I've, I've, I've read it many times. I even memorized this, but I never caught it. Look at verse 2. It's a great verse, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Now, who doesn't want that? You know, you're, to be knit together in love with a group of people who are loyal to you, who really love you, to reach all the riches, the, the, the glorious words here, to reach all the riches of full assurance. That means your doubt is extinguished. 
because of the value of who Jesus is. Riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. I just never saw that before. What is this mystery? Well, a mystery is something that's... We didn't know that before. Uh, we, 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 have it, we have it revealed to us. It's actually a biblical word. It's used several times. For something that's it's foreshadowed in the Old Testament, and, and Jesus Christ is foreshadowed in, in Genesis chapter 3, for example. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse that refers to Jesus there. But a mystery here is revealed. It says, remember in that the hidden treasures in verse 3? Here it is. He opens up the cave. You've walked up from Whiskey Creek, and you've walked into that old hole in the mountain and found the crystals there who are in Jesus Christ. He is revealed. Here's some scriptures. Oh, yeah, that's, what, that's what mystery is. The aha moment. Like, oh, that's what this is about. That's what we're going for in who Jesus Christ is. Here's some scriptures. May come to a full assurance of the knowledge of Christ. The Lord... The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Now that was written about um, 3,000 years ago, roughly 2,000, I mean 1,000 years before Christ. Okay? But see how perfectly it describes who Jesus is and the passage I just read? God has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness. Jesus is the righteousness available for us. He he satisfies the righteous demands of God on our behalf. When you release it and in faith in the powerful working of God, you say, I want that. I want to be released from my unrighteousness and to have the righteousness of Christ. Here's here's more. This is actually a little snippet from Daniel. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. This is a little snippet from a little speech to Nebuchadnezzar, or about Nebuchadnezzar, but it sure fits our case as well. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Here's some more. Uh, This is Acts 16. It says this. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. That tells us something about this lady, Lydia. She was actually quite wealthy. She was a trader. And uh, she was a a woman independent in the Roman Empire, earning her own income. And it also says, who was a worshiper of God. And so she liked God. She had a place in her heart for God. She worshiped God. But look what Acts 16.14 says. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's that aha moment. Christ is what I'm looking for. Christ is what I need. Uh, Here's a couple of more verses. This is John, 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. 
And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Fleshing that out, here's Ephesians 2. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. See, right now even, in the word of God, Jesus is preaching. He's preaching to those that are far and those that are near. He's preaching peace. Come to me for peace. And maybe, just maybe, there's that miracle happening in your own heart right now. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord opens your heart to hear it. And the mystery is revealed. Aha! I need Christ. Uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, I just love it, is Matthew 11. And this is one of the high points in that text. Jesus is talking. By the way, in the context is, everybody's rejecting him. He's like, humanly speaking, he's a loser. Uh, they're, they're rejecting him. They thought he was uh, not worth listening to, right? And this is what he said. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Let me read that again. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So, Christ, the mystery, is a revelation, and he's the means of revelation so that we can know the Father. Jesus Christ came to explain the Father. And that's why God sent him, to be the one who represents the truth about God. Christ, the mystery revealed. We may have knowledge of this mystery. You can have knowledge of this mystery in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You're invited to know him. What are the benefits? We read them quickly in this passage. One is hearts encouraged. Honestly, the more you know about Christ, the more your heart will feel better. You'll be encouraged because it's good news. God is not angry at you. He has satisfied his wrath in Christ, and through faith, you can know you're forgiven. And he wants you to grow in him, to grow in victory. So it encourages your heart. Secondly, knit together in love. I mentioned this as I read together. This is the goal of the Christian life, that we grow together in love and being knit together in a family, an extended family, uh, that is so fulfilling and it's an eternal family uh, that God calls us to. And then the final one here, and this, this is verse 2, by the way, to reach, to attain all the riches of full assurance. You can know that you're right with God. You can know this. You can have this wealth of the full assurance. And how would that be? It's by faith in Jesus Christ. Because he is all you need. Jesus paid it all. 
and he, it is uh, completely paid off. Like I mentioned, the wealthy lady who offers to pay off all of our bills. Christ is the one who pays off all of our bills. Christ, the mystery revealed. And then I want to make a point about the hefty competition. Hefty competition. There's hefty, strong competition to this message. Uh, all the uh, alternative religions in the world are telling you to do this, do that. If you, if you obey what we're telling you, you're going to be right with God. Uh, say, they might say this is too simplistic to believe that Christ paid your full penalty for your sin. Hefty competition, and look, as the text lays it out. Some try to delude us with plausible arguments. They're trying to deceive us. And as I said, as I read it, we don't gain ground by saying their arguments are just stupid. No, their arguments can be quite plausible. We have to understand them and learn how to refute their arguments and, and basically come at it, reframe the argument by coming at it with the strength of who Jesus Christ is. I mean, all of the false theories and plausible reasonings fall apart when you see how great Christ is. You understand what I'm saying? We come at it by saying, wait a minute, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You can't get better than that. And somebody will say, well, we have an older faith that predates Christianity. No, the Bible teaches us that this comes from creation itself, from the very beginning. You can't get any older than this. This is the one and only original, and it's not Coca-Cola. Okay? <laughs> the whole idea of new Coke was a bad idea. <laughs> Um, go with the original. But this is the original. I, I love to preach in India. I've had the opportunity to do that many, many, many times through a translator. <laughs> but I like to make this point many times over because you know what people think around the world? They think Christianity is a Western religion. It's like, uh, no. <laughs> it came from the Middle East. Uh, it's Asian. Asia Minor is where... Christ lived. Um, and the, the, it's the Middle East. And even before that, it's, it's supra-cultural. It arises above all cultures. It's not specific. You know, I want to say, hallelujah, you don't have to be an American to be a Christian. In fact, it's probably a detriment. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> It's probably better not to be an American if you really want to be a Christian. Don't stone me. I'm just trying to make a point. <laughs> but that's so freeing and wonderful that it is for all and in him are all the treasures and some people try to delude you by saying well that's a modern teaching and it's a western idea and it's an American idea well we, ha we have some cultural baggage it's bad stuff you know we should probably knock that off with a nice shovel or something uh, let's make sure what we teach is biblical. Uh, but it is not a Western religion. Uh, there, there we go. Some try to take us captive, as the text says. Look at by philosophy. This is actually, I think, part of the skepticism uh, of the Pharisees. Jesus called it the, the leaven of the Pharisees. A little bit of skepticism goes a long way. You know, if you can just... In, just introduce a, a little bit of skepticism into somebody's mind that's unfounded, it's just questionable, uh, 
that can go a long way. And philosophy can be a part of that. Maybe better, empty deceit. Uh, just empty deceit. No, you know, that's just one verse. You hear all kinds of arguments, honestly. And a- academically and, and um, intellectually, they're, they're hollow. Things like, oh, the Bible was just written by man and there's been so many different, uh, you know, versions of it that you can't really believe any one version versus the other. You know, historically, that is not true. We have like over 5,000 Greek texts that underlie the New Testament. We, we are so close. We don't have the originals. God chose in his wisdom not to give us like the actual letter that Paul wrote to, to Colossae, probably because we'd be so stupid we'd worship it or something. Um, but we have, we have many, many, many copies that get us back so close to the original that there are textual issues, but they're not important. Like you don't read uh, here, let's say, for example, verse 2, knowledge of, the mystery, of God's mystery, which is Christ. There's no question that that's the original text. There's no text that says God's mystery, which was Peter. You understand what I'm saying? There's no textual deviation that affects the message of, of the Bible. And this is intellectually, fully academically proven. I'm not just spouting uh, like a, a Baptist preacher. <laughs> Getting close to that, but not there. <laughs> According to human tradition. Dear friends, there's so many people who deviate from Christ because of human tradition. It can be just as simple as, well, my family's never believed that way before. And you know what Jesus said? What did he say? You might have to actually hate your mother or your father. And, and we think he meant it in this way. If your mother or father are keeping you away from Christ, don't make that choice to go with mom or dad because you're losing your life. You, you actually have to treat them as if, mom, dad, I don't believe what you believe. I believe in the Bible, I believe in Jesus Christ, and he is all, he's all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and he draws me to himself, and I have to cut my relationship with you uh, in this area, dear mom or dear dad, according to human tradition. I could go on and on about this, uh, but I won't. More to be said later. According to the elemental spirits of the world, this is sort of like new age, you know, it's like if you, if you have a right crystal, um, we, we rent a little house and we have people come in with a crystal walking around the house. I want to check the energy in this room. <laughs> okay, there I am mocking them. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it, it seems a little zany to me, right? It's the elemental spirits. And what's drawing them away from the simplicity of faith in Christ? Some of those crystals I found in the mountain. Goodness sakes. Um, you know, they have this idea that this is elemental and real and deep. And, and no, we know the God who created quartz. <laughs> we worship him. And we are happy about the quartz crystal, but it does not lead us away from Christ. So hefty competition. And they end with this. Uh, Christ, overwhelming reality. I just, I point back, I've used the word hyperbole. These are gorgeous, wonderful, non-hyperbolic statements about who Jesus is. He's worth, guess what he's worth? 
worship. You can worship him. You say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Quickly, God is fully, Christ is fully God living in a body. He's not half God. He's not half human. Fully God living in a body. And, and you have been filled in him, this text says. This is overwhelming reality. This is what we're invited to. It's not like a one-time deal. In other words, you grow and grow into this more deeply. And I confess, I need this as much as anyone. I need to grow more and more deeply, deeply rooted and grounded. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in my faith. It's a lifetime process, but it's, it's rewarding and wonderful and fantastic. It beats a midlife crisis with a motorcycle. Let me just put it that way. I've tried it, and this is better, okay? And you've been filled in him. You have died with him. And I just want to look back at this beautiful word here as we're getting very close to the end of my talking time. Look, look at um, verse 13. And you were dead. What this is talking about in verses 11 through 13 is it's this metaphorical language saying that we're connected with Christ. The Holy Spirit dunks us in. The Bible says he baptizes us into Christ. This is something that spiritually happens to us. And water baptism symbolizes that, but water baptism is not that. Uh, this is when we're born again, we're, we're buried with Christ, we rise in newness of life, and we've had a, a spiritual experience that is, has eternal results. And, and I like it so much, you, you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And I opened this up quite a bit when I read it, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. It stands there. It's against you. It's real. It has legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So I want to try that here. I did a survey and found out some of the sins you, you guys have committed. <laughs> Nastiness, lies, stealing, selfishness, worry. Now that's a sin too. Lust, and pride. None of these will allow you to live in heaven. All of these are worthy of death. But the scripture says that he nailed it to the cross. And I'm going to try to nail it to this cross. Haven't tried this yet, but here we go. Yeah, hallelujah, huh? He nailed it to the cross. It's gone. Hallelujah. And Paul says, you want to leave that? Don't leave that. Come to it. Come to that. It's the only means of salvation. That's, that's, I'm, I'm not selling something that you can, you can use a generic product. <laughs> no, there is no generic product. This is the one, the only, because you can't recreate God-man. That's a one-off event. <laughs> and, and, and it's eternal. And he won't share that office with anybody. We were buried with him. 
And here's, here's Easter. We were raised with him. Hallelujah. And those are verb tenses. It's, it's already happened for the believer. You are raised to newness of life. You are alive in him. Why Easter? It fully seals our salvation. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof that we are saved. That's what we point to. That's why it says full assurance. He's alive. <laughs> I'm forgiven. And then uh, I throw this in here. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the beauty of your word. Thank you, Lord, for Christ, the mystery revealed. Lord, we even thank you for the hefty competition that that forces us to know you more and forces us to love you and to pursue your word more. And we're so thankful that Christ is the overwhelming reality and that in him uh, our debt was nailed to the cross. He, He set it aside. It no longer stands against us. Free us in this faith, faith in the powerful working of God. Amen.